tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. rock. Yes, yes, dude. It's comedy chaos Woo. day. It's comedy chaos day. We're doing it, dude. It's a great day to be alive. I know this is coming out on Thursday morning, but today is comedy chaos day. We is live at the comedy store, so we are all excited. Just so you know, there. y'all missed out. Yeah. They missed out. Yeah, y'all missed they, out. They missed out. Because it's sold out. Bam! Shut up. It's sold out. Anyways, guys, love you guys very much. I uh, just want to say thank you guys so much for all the support and love uh, and every all the positive reviews on the internet. Uh, you guys are showing a lot of love, and some of you guys are talking mad shit, and that's okay because I love <laughs> it too. It's fine. This is all good. I do believe that there's going to come a time where it's like, you know, live long enough to become the villain. And uh, I I am always going to be set on what I believe. And some people aren't going to enjoy that as much. And that's just life. Just know what I do comes from a place of love. And I, I care for people. And, uh, you know, uh, most of the projects I do, if not all of them, is there to help people. So everyone can do whatever they want and believe whatever they want. I'm here to help and love and practice abundance in my life. And, you know, help, you know, show you guys what I've done to change my life so you guys can change your life. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. So I just wanted to get that out because I know, you know, there's a lot of craziness going on. And, you know, sometimes my opinions may not fit with everybody, but that's okay, man. That's okay. We don't have to agree on everything all the time. I love you and I want you to prosper. I don't, I don't want you to follow me or, you know, at all. You know, this whole notion of being a cult leader or anything. I don't want anything to do with that. I want you to be your own master, your own Ronin. And I'm trying my hardest to just do the best I can to get you information that can help you take control of your life and, and you know, pull out of the psyops and the loose jacking and just focus on you, what's inside you and your family and your community. And that's it. So if we don't agree on something, it's okay, man. It's okay. That's it. I, I, I'm with you, man. Because that, that the, the arguing about opinions and people identifying with their opinions and internalizing everything is another tool that the powers use to divide us and keep us. Yeah, 100%. It's all about that. They just keep dividing us up and we all fall for it because it taps into our fight and flight. We're fighting for our souls. We're fighting for our life. We're fighting for our people. We're fighting for this and we're fighting for that. And we flip back and forth instead of just being like, I'm going to take care of me. Yeah, it's funny. It's like we're all on this this lower level looking around, arguing at each other when the enemies are really up. You know? 100%. Just look up. That's where the bad 100%. guys are. 100%. They're just running psyops on all of us, and we're all falling for it. Pull out at all 
cost, okay? And look inside and fix yourself. And you know, I tell you what I do to make my life a better better and it's just simple things you know gratitude lists daily goals intermediate goals life goals and i do that every day and i say it out to the universe and guess what happens things are happening dude and i've never been in a better place i've never been happier and you guys are a big part of that and i want you to know that okay i want you to know that you're a giant part of my happiness and you know Every day we come in here, we try to bang it out the best we can. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Today's episode is one of those great ones where I just thoroughly enjoyed this topic, which is the 70s, yeah. you know, occult, esoteric. I also love that guy's energy. He's really positive, laughing a lot, you know. It's dude gets a lot of energy. I bet you cool back guy. in the day he was sling slinging it, dude. Oh, slinging sure. it, dude. Yeah. 70s, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, 70s, but 80s, 90s, slinging it. Brian's a good guy, dude. Brian's a good guy, and it, you can't, you know, I've, this is the second time I've interviewed him, and he's a great guy. Uh, guys, if you want to see me live, uh, uh, I'm in Laguna Niguel, uh, May 11th. Then at the end of the month, I'm so blessed. I'm going to be on the 26th, May 26th. I'm in Holland, Michigan at the Park Theater. And then the next night, I'm in Grand Rapids. You've been asking for it. You got it. Let's get weird, Michigan. <laughs> you wanted the best. You got the best. You wanted the best. You got the best. And then the hottest I, comedian in the world. And then the following weekend, uh, I will be putting up my Ohio, I'll be putting up my Ohio dates today. Uh, I will be in Cleveland. I'll be in Columbus, Dayton, and Cleveland. Okay, those dates at the end of the month. Let me see where these are. I believe it's the last weekend. I'm at the Columbus Funny Bone, which is a big Funny Bones. Uh, that's uh, yeah, June second is uh, I'm at the uh, in Columbus. And then I'm here. Let's see where else. I'm in Dayton on the 3rd, I believe. Oh, the 4th. And then finally, with last but not least, Daddy is in. Uh, back at one of my favorite clubs to play. It's way too classy. I have no clue why they have me back. <laughs> Polarities is one of the best clubs in the country. And I will be there on the 3rd. So... Uh, I will have all of those tickets up on there so you guys can grab it. Ohio, I love you. You're one of my favorite states to perform in. And believe it or not, Ohio chicks smoke so shows. Oh, really? It's very weird when you go to a place that's super cold because you think they're going to be farmer chicks because they got to have layers, and then they're super smoke shows. Mm. That's what I love. Chicago is like that. Ohio, I can't wait to go to Michigan. Can't wait to see you guys. And not that being attractive is important just as long as you come and hang out and get weird. So go to samtribly.com to grab all of your tickets. Rockfin is uh, a great place. Fun fact, Owen, Martin, good friends now. Owen's oh. texting me, hey, man, me and Martin are good friends now. Great. I love it. Bringing people together. Oh, look at Sam. That's what I do. People. Conduit for love. Bringing people together. There we go. Owen loves me. I love Owen. Owen loves Martin. We're all working it together. If you go to rockfin.com, you can get Tim Fall Hat Premium, Zero, Conspiracy Social Club. We don't spunk the same. Yep. We got Broken Sim First Look. Yeah. We're recording uh, tomorrow night. Yeah. So go check it out. T-shirts at samtriplee.com or timfallhatt-shirts.com. Oh. I got to get some new shirts. I got to get some new shirts. I got to focus on that. I gotta focus you guys heard on. that? Send them your design. Send me your design. Heard that? Somebody sent me a design that looks exactly like the design that uh, Greg Carwood has on the um, 
uh, on hit on the higher side chat so i can't use that man it's like unique stuff so hit me up and we'll uh, if i if i like it i use it and then uh if you want to join the telegram okay then go to tinfall ha- go to samtribute.com click the link it says it right there only conspiracies telegram guys i love you very much man okay i love you very much i had to recently kick somebody off of the telegram Oh, uh, so because, I heard about this. Yeah. yeah, because you know, it's like you're posting stuff about my friends, like my best friends. Like what? Like what world do you live in that that's acceptable? Yeah. Well, and then people are acting like they're surprised that you block people. No, <laughs> yeah. I, I've only I mean, blocked one guy. No, out but of. I mean, like you have a history of blocking people on social media. Yeah. But it, there's nothing. That's not a free you know, speech issue. I'm a you know human I mean? being. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's like not I'm a free not speech a pinata. And like as this as this show grows, which has been doing a lot lately, you know, um, you know, it's just like I'm getting more and more outside influences coming in. And you know, if you're gonna say nasty stuff, life is too short. I've lost two of my friends to killing themselves lately. You know, it's like people are human beings. I'm a human being. You know, it's like you're gonna say super nasty shit because your name isn't on there and you don't have a profile pic. No one knows who you are. What do you think's gonna happen? And guess what? They you keep making new profiles. It's like click, even click, if you block. did have your name on there, still. I mean, that's it's just like yeah. you do. You either like show, you don't like the show, and if you don't like the show, that's fine. It's if not you were in the, if they were in your house saying those same things, you'd be like, hey, dude, come on, man, could you just talk? Yeah, or leave, ch- you know? ch- just chill. Or your line of business, would you be okay with people coming and saying that yeah. in your line yeah, of yeah, where you are, yeah. where you work? It's just, that's dude, we're everybody here is a human being. Johnny gives me shit. I give XG shit. XG gives me shit. I give Johnny shit because we're friends, but like nothing's like super personal or like, like, dude, we're human beings and, and all we're doing is talking here. And if you don't like it, man, you don't listen. It's like, I don't watch TV. I got rid of Disney plus. I don't like what they're doing there. Oh, you got to see the new Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer just came out today. Yeah, Johnny, we're, we're trying to keep him away from Disney+. Yeah, Plus, dude, Johnny. stop he just it, thought, Johnny. He just flexed on I'll it. show you the new trailer. just came out for May the 4th. <laughs> oh. I should have done May the 4th, uh, Tim Fo- I mean, Comedy Chaos, right? Should have made it all Star Wars. Oh, yeah, dude, I fucked up. Oh. Anyways, guys, I love you so much. I hope you enjoy this episode. And uh, yeah, man, I hope you enjoy it. We loved it. Brian crushed it. So please enjoy uh, a fun conversation about the 70s in New York with the, in the whole uh, occult, esoteric, alchemist scene with Brian Kono. Far. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. All right, let's get into it. Very excited to have this gentleman on. He uh, first came on to my Zero podcast, and as soon as we are done, I hit up Mark the Booker and said, you got to get him on the main show, and here he is. We finally made it happen. I'm very excited to have this gentleman on. He is an alchemist, an artist, and an award-winning filmmaker. Please welcome Brian Cote Noir. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Good to be. Good to see you again. Well, uh, Brian, uh, you... You super sorry, crushed I just it. Had this weird kind of thing happening here. Um, um, I'm getting kind of a visual feedback. Okay, um, what is this? Is this? Is this? Just know that uh, the powers that be are on to us at some point. So sometimes okay. they like to mess with our our feeds and stuff like that. Okay. Shout okay. out to the CIA and the uh, FBI. <laughs> Shout out you guys um, for messing yeah. with us. But can you hear us enough? 
Well, I hear you fine. It was just all of a sudden I was seeing myself in kind of like you know rather psychedelic colors. You're, you're going to see. Pattern. You're going to see whatever is uh, is on the camera at our end. Uh, so when you're on screen, you'll see yourself. Yeah, which which I know's got to be a little weird to do to talk to yourself, but okay. Uh, okay. And now that I know what's going on, we should. I'll try to maintain my uh, composure here. It's it's a little bizarre. That's should all. we start over? You are editing. Is it? This is not live, is it? No, no, no. no it's not live. Do you want me to start oh, over? Okay. Oh, might as well. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's start okay. over. Here we go. One more time. Yeah, yeah, Why sorry. not? Do we have a, some weird starts? Few... You get a weird start. You got one more weird start because that's it here, but it's all good in the hood here we go this one's for the children okay three two. all right let's get into it uh this gentleman was on zero and i loved it so much i hit up mark right after asked him to come put him on the big show here we are uh i'm very excited to talk to him a lot of great topics we're gonna get into today uh he's an alchemist he's an artist and he is the award winning winning filmmaker please welcome brian coat noir how are you buddy I'm good. I'm good. Good to be back. Uh, good to be back. I have a weird deja vu, which is kind of funny because on the first intro, I messed up that that part too. So, <laughs> award winning. Uh, <laughs> but here we are, Brian. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on uh, another one of my shows. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed your last uh, appearance on uh, Zero so much. I bought the package of you uh, teaching alchemy, so I haven't had a chance mm -hmm. to watch it, but I am excited to get into it. So for those who may not be familiar with you, Brian, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Oh, sure, sure. Um, so... As mentioned, I do work in alchemy. Uh, I do research in it, I replicate experiments, and then I produce, uh, produce work around it. Um, publishing books, zines, um, articles, essays, I do some teaching uh, here and there, uh, some Zoom classes, uh, things like this. I've been at this for uh, quite a long time, probably too long of a time. Um, I started in the 70s, actually, uh, with the real intense uh, research, reading, studying of alchemy. And for those interested in checking out the work, um, you can go to my website, keprepress.com. Um, my last book on practical alchemy has been reissued, so practical alchemy, just look it up online. You'll find places that sell it. Better to go to your bookstore. Um, and so that's... That's essentially what I do, actual alchemy, uh, both the inner and the outer. It's not just the laboratory work, but how the laboratory work ties into or engages with the inner work and vice versa. Um, a lot of the work that I do that comes out of that um, is applied or can be applied to any art practice, any art making, any kind of thing that you're involved with. Uh, so that's one of the areas that uh, I try to express through my work. Uh, but, but really, um, it got started, I'd say, uh, an obsession <laughs> at, at Weiser's bookstore uh, back in the 70s. Um, and I know this will segue into something I know a lot of folks are interested in. It's like, what was that like back then? Yeah, There's folks that came out of that time period. There were folks that came out of that time period who know about this. Um, and kind of informally, it has started to become referred to as Weiser U or Weiser University, uh, um, simply because this was like 
it's one of the, if people don't know Weiser's bookstore or Samuel Weiser's Inc., um, it was an actual brick and mortar bookstore in New York City since the 20s, I believe. It's, it's the oldest occult bookstore in the U.S. It still exists as an antiquarian shop online as well as uh, publishing. They actually published uh, published my book, uh, Practical Alchemy. Um, but at the time, this was sort of like the watering hole. Right? This is where everybody who had an interest in anything from Sufism, you know, Buddhism, ritual magic, the occult, everybody was there, right? And on a Saturday or a weekend or something, it was it was packed. What was also really cool about it was there were reading chairs everywhere and no one was really ever chased out, right? You could sit, you could read, and there were discussions, there were... So it was a very, very dynamic. It wasn't just a bookstore. It, it kind of served as a center for a lot of this. Um, so to work there, I mean, that was, you know, if you were interested in the esoteric and the occult, uh, this is this is where you I mean, this is where you wanted to work. I love the seventies. I love everything about the seventies, not just that well, I was well, born, but there's just there's a vibe and a grittiness of the seventies that I think is a, a, I don't know if it's lost forever, but there was it was just a, a simpler time. Uh, a more, I just felt like there was this grit to it. If you look at like in movies, it, it it's seen as like the golden era of movies, in particular. Well, yeah, it, it is very cinematic. Yes, it, you know, right. But it is. It was. I said, you know, the city then was extraordinarily cinematic. Um, but at, you know, I think it had to do with it's. I think it had to do with just survival. Uh, it was not an easy place to be. Um, and so those who were here, stayed here, worked, tried to work, do anything here. It, it, it I mean, a good film to see is, uh, is called downtown 81. Uh, it was made, it was shot then it has, uh, Basquiat in it and a couple of other like musicians, artists from the time. And they weren't like making a film about famous artists and famous musicians. These were just a bunch of friends hanging together, making a detective movie. It was never finished. It was pulled out of a box oh, five, ten years ago and completed as a film, as a document of the city of like the late 70s, early 80s. It's unbelievable. I, uh, I, I love it. Have you seen it? No, but I, I'm excited to check it out because I just feel like I don't know what's happened in New York City lately. It just seems like it's it's oh, it's. Yeah. And taken over by building off the charts yeah yeah and like you know i i live in los angeles and we're in a real moment of like there's not a lot of outlaws left and you know right. and i just feel like that's kind of new york city new york city will always have like a gotham feel to it but i just feel like yeah. It's just so much of the outlaw stuff has been ran out and it just makes me sad because I mean, it's not just one side or the other of the political spectrum, but it's like kind sure. of both sides have done it, whether it's from a, a, you know, a super conservative, you know. Well, it's hollowed out. I mean, it's like the economy, econo I can't even say the word, the economy of the city is such that 
you know, either you've lived here for a very long time and you have a rent stabilized, rent controlled apartment, so you can stay. You may not be able to afford the grocery store down the block. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Can, like I have a friend of mine who's been here since the early seventies. He's he pays three hundred dollars a month rent, right? Oh my tiny god! Apartment. Whoa. But, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't. He can't. But he says, "But I earned it. I've lived here since the 70s. <laughs> I mean, you know, there is there is combat pay involved in that. Um, but that's the thing. It's like you can't move. You can't go anywhere. You're stuck, or you have a shitload of money. And so what happens is anybody in the middle gets pushed out. Gets pushed out. Um, and so that's the thing that that starts to have. So people come into like, just as a as a as a oh I don't know what you would call it a caveat or an underscore to it is that the city still does have its edge. I mean there are parts, especially East Village, it is getting you know kind of gentrified more, yuppified more, things like this. But it will. It's just the nature of this area. It has a it has a very long history uh, since the early eighteen forties thirties of just anarchism. I mean, in, in an actual political movement sense, and an ongoing history ever since. I mean, so there is you you, you still have that, um, and but it has a lot to do with. Uh, I mean, here we are getting into New York City real estate. That's what they say. It's like, talk to anybody from New York, and within 20 minutes, it goes to real estate. <laughs> but deeper, though, but, but, it, but it underscores a deeper thing, though, right? It's like, it's like us who are artists, us who are involved in, say, the esoteric things like this, maybe don't necessarily need a high-paying job to survive and to go, but you get pushed out. Right. It's like after a point, you can't do what you're doing. You may have been able to sustain it and do it. But all of a sudden, it's like the things around you start pushing you out. So that's what happens. Um, It gets what I it's like hollowed out. You have the very wealthy and you have the lower like the folks who have like my friend who's lived here since forever. But um, even if he wanted to move, he couldn't. Right. Yeah, it's like because he couldn't he couldn't afford a three thousand dollar a month apartment or you know or a tiny two and a half thousand dollar a month studio. No, he'd have to go, you know, leave where he lived all of his life essentially and go an hour away or something. So that has an impact. Yeah, right? I, I agree with that. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of stuff that's going on, like in L.A. in particular, but I've talked to people in. Uh, New York as well is that you know when the prices go up the middle lower class tends to move out and you know the middle and lower class uh, tend to use like uh, the arts and uh, yeah. let's say the, uh, the the occult and stuff like that as a this way what I'm saying. to to further themselves in life to find a niche or a, a market for that and then all of a sudden yep. it grows and they meet together and we were talking about this on my other podcast the other day about how like when I started doing stand up here I started stand up in uh, in ninety four in in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and I was here about ninety nine I came to L A and we used to do this where like you would do your edgier stuff in 
LA and then you would go out onto the uh you know the rest of the country and you have to dumb down your comedy for for yeah. you know now it's the other way around and it's it's like yeah. you gotta you do your edgier stuff on the road and now you do your like safer <laughs> stuff in front of the, uh, la and i've heard that about new york as well because it's yeah. like these the, the 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 children of the rich have uh kind of taken it over and they 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 don't play in the fringe as much as a lot of us from middle mm -hmm. and lower class would do to find kind of a new tribe to run with and stuff. And, uh, and right. I wonder if that happens with the occult as well, where like, you know, all the great stores now maybe aren't in New York city. Maybe they've moved to Jersey. Maybe they moved to the Midwest where they can afford to have a no. wonderful bookstore. No, no, there's, no? There's, no there, there's, there's, there's a very dynamic community here uh, on various levels. There are still are, uh, I would say, two bookstores at Center, one here in Manhattan and another one in Brooklyn, one Catland in Brooklyn and Enchantments here in New York in Manhattan in the East Village. Um, and these are very dynamic places. I mean, this, this, these are still brick and mortars that survived through the pandemic and are just, there's a presence here and an interest. Uh, I know that I, I, there was at a book conference here in the city uh, dealing with the esoteric um, and there's an English publisher, uh, Fulger Press. And when he was here, he says, can I ask you folks a question? What's going on in Brooklyn? And everybody <laughs> just started laughing. And he's like, the reason is because we sell internationally, but Brooklyn it's like 20 times more than the next highest place. Oh, interesting. Right? Interesting. Right? It has, it, it just is. It has moved from where it used to be sort of centered here because of the very cheap, dangerous environment in, the, in New York City in the 70s and 80s, even into the 90s. But then as uh, the rents go cheaper and everything else, people moved out. Right. So into Brooklyn, into Queens, things like this. And that's where you find it. That's where you will. And you still find it here in the city. I mean, it's it's a big place. But for some reason, it always seems to have had sort of a very dynamic uh, undercurrent uh, of deep involvement in the esoteric. I'll tell you one other thing. There's a conference that's held here um, started by some artists that work through NYU, not New York University. And it's called the Occult Humanities Conference. And it's kind of funded and supported through NYU. It was like, you know, a very interesting initiative that was started from the inside. Um, and they wanted to do this exhibit. And so they were able to convince the university to give them space to do this exhibition. Um, and the university was just saying, okay, fine. You know, how many people do you think will be? And they were like, okay, the, the university was estimating oh, a few hundred people a day, 20 people a day would come out for this thing. The opening night, oh, maybe a hundred. Well, the opening night, there were like several thousand. Oh, my <laughs> it was, God. It was, it was the kind of thing where the streets were clogged. They had to tell people to keep moving, and as you move, can exit so that the next would come. The university was like, what the hell is this? Who, whoever, who thought this would happen? <laughs> and the organizers and every occultist and every artist says, we did. We know what's underneath here. It's like rhizomes, you know, rhizome culture. It's not necessarily evident what's going on, but it's always here. This is the nature of the arts, too. 
uh, the arts are so engulfed in or engaged in market and academy that they will ignore the, the depth and of involvement of artists in the esoteric and the occult. This is one of the things the conference is addressing or attempting to. Actually, they are addressing it and doing it well, I think. So, so the, if anybody's the, around, check out NYU's. Uh, it's called the Occult Humanities Conference, and I believe it may be happening starting up again this October. It's fascinating. All right, guys, it's spring. That's right. And you know what that means? Pound Town action. That's right. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Blue Chew. It's time to dig yourself out of the winter hibernation. Spring is here, and it's time to get sprung with Blue Chew. That's right. This episode sponsored by Blue Chew. Okay, guys, confidence can take you far in life. It also helps in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up your, to the plate and drop the hammer of the gods on your unsuspecting lady or dude, depending on what kind of hole you like to hit, okay? And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but, a, but in a chewable tablet at a fraction of the cost, okay? You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises for Pound Town. Everyone's going to Pound Town, wrecking the whole Holes at Pound Town. So whether you're into ladies or men, Pound Town, Mayor of Pound Town, to make it happen. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So there's no visit to the doctor's office or any awkward conversation. No waiting in line at the pharmacy. Just get your little chewable tablet, take it and wreck shop, okay? And guess what? It's American-made for American boners, for American holes, okay? Wrecking shop is the most patriotic thing you can do, all right? I'm thinking about getting Blue Chew tattooed on my ding-dong. That's how much I love it, okay? It starts out as BC and expands the Blue Chew like a young Christian warrior, okay? So this is what we're going to do. If you could benefit with a little extra confidence when it comes time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code TINFOIL at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code TINFOIL to receive your first month free visit bluechew.com for more details and and important safety information we thank blue chew for safe for sponsoring this show are you saying that they're ignoring the esoteric and the occult and they're not focusing on or allowing it to show uh, have a presence in general in general the art academies yes it's not really if it is it's maybe a particular artist and isn't that interesting look what they were doing um in general, I mean, if you look at any kind of art review on stuff, you will not find it reviewed, discussed, or even acknowledged. If it is the comments, here's 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 an, here's a for instance from that exit. The NYU was fine. I mean, the organizers of this know what this is about. This is what we're all involved with. But um, it was it, it's just like no one was expecting this. 
right? Because they have this idea of, well, art schools teach art as a marketable skill that you could sell, right? And it has certain, certain, certain parameters that have an interest. And I mean, it all makes sense, right? Um, but for artists, there's a whole other thing. When I give talks, when, I, when, when we were doing public talks, right? When that was still going on, it's coming back again. Here in the city, I'd ask people, how many here are doing alchemy, involved in any kind of esoteric stuff? Maybe, uh, you know, 20% would raise their hand. I go, who, who are artists here? Almost 100% would raise their hand. The material of the esoteric really resonates with artists because they're making. They, they, it's, it's like talking about the same thing in a way. So they're looking for tools. They're looking for concepts that the academy isn't talking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had a conversation. It's not like it's suppressed. It's just the market. And so it becomes, it's just weird. It, it yeah. is weird. Here's a, for instance, one of the things, like the type of criticism you'll see that came out of that exhibit was like, wow, a lot of snakes sit here. <laughs> it was like, well, okay, yeah, that's like going into a, a, a gallery or a museum that's uh, it's like, you know, on Byzantine iconography and going, wow, a lot of women and babies being held, a lot of guys on crosses. <laughs> What's this about, right? And that's the level of your critique of the art is like, I don't understand it. They're doing weird things in it. It's like, what is this? Um, so that's how it's approached. It's looked at as, as illustration or something like that. It's not real art. Except real artists are deeply involved in it. I I, so. I I have a lot of opinions on art. Uh, I for some reason like people really love like cookie cutter, easily digestible stuff, and you know, sure. in this world of political correctness and stuff. And I don't want to get too far into that, but you know, this notion that art shouldn't move you and even move you in a way that makes you uncomfortable is just oh, ridiculous yeah. to me. Like, I want to get like, I'm like, well, that made me uncomfortable. Like that song yeah. you you played for me from uh, uh, Immortal Technique, Dancing uh, with the Devil. I, that that affected yeah. me for two days like it's intense it's, i told it's you intense, i was like Listen i don't want to get into yeah. the but but it, that's why right. should, i shouldn't be like that shouldn't be that song some shouldn't like well, that this should is be where done. but this is where the idea of like say the the what i call like the market forces involved in, in making and selling of art is just that right it doesn't want stuff that is disruptive disturbing questioning or something right you want it on your on your corporate office wall, right? To, to expose, to express taste, wealth, what have you. You know, you don't necessarily want something that's you know ex exposing fractures in the culture. Um, but you're right. I mean, any artist will go. Yeah, the whole point is, you know, to kind of to kind of disturb, to point out. It's like one of the one I forget who the critic or writer or somebody was saying. It's like art is the dream is public dream, right? We all have our own dreams that are sometimes nightmares. Well, artists express them publicly, you know, and it's sometimes not pretty. It's disturbing, but it certainly gets you questioning. I mean, remember the artwork we saw at the airport? Yeah. What the fuck was that? Yeah, exactly. You're like, what? Uh, there was like these this? squares that were in the air, and oh, we were all looking at this. Denver? Sorry. Sorry. No, there was just like random it was weirdness. In There's something about like sometimes where art is just you're like, what are we doing here? Like that <laughs> exactly. that two million dollar banana thing where it's just a banana 
yeah. taped to the wall and everyone's like look out yeah. and some paint well, that, that, that i actually that this i one actually right here. appreciate this sort of bugs bunny anarchism of it if you know what i mean it's like no, oh I you want that. art here it is give me a million i don't know there, there is something that's kind of uh just really you know but yes is it really 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 not you know is there a part of, is of is there a part of, like, of alchemy that is is there a part of alchemy that for me like what what art i find amazing is art is that art is a thought that is manifested into something physical in a way whether it's a visual film Mm -hmm. or or uh, or this and it's like that seems to be to me a a part of alchemy right there creating something from nothing absolutely Absolutely. That gets right at the heart of it. It's taking, it's either taking what's there and moving it to its, you know, better place, let's say. I mean, that's what alchemy is. It, 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 it makes change for the better, right? Along with, it basically, it makes whatever it is into its best version of itself, if you will. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's essentially it. And any material, um, you know, can can be used towards that, right? Um, there was something I wanted to say, and I forgot what it was. Okay, uh, it, was, it wasn't directly related to what you were saying. I'll, I'll probably come around about That's it again. That's fine. But um, yeah, was there? It was it was in the seventies, like when we think of like Richard Pryor. I'm just coming from a point of view of my my career my, mm-hmm. what i do which is stand-up comedy according to some right. not very well but uh you know <laughs> um there was the richard priors there was this kind of like punk rock feel to what was being produced it was like kind of a uh even though you know it was kind of was it was like a grittier version of the 60s the 60s was you know all this uh, you know hippie love and all that but then like the 70s got like it got gritty there was like a little darkness to this kind of like subculture that was going on it's all after like the kennedy assassination stuff kennedy assassination charles manson murder like all of a sudden it got more like real with what i would i love to say texture there was a lot and even the even the summer of love you know had this dark undertone to it you know if you really look deeper like i remember george mm-hmm. harrison talking about going to san francisco uh you know when all when when that shit was at its height and just just being really unimpressed with like oh every you know most of these people are just high off their ass yeah. you know was stumbling exactly. around yeah. and dirty you know they're living on yeah. the streets but it was portrayed in this light but really i think that is was kind of the the beginning of, of you know this this the late sixties yeah, yeah well, I yeah. mean is San Francisco still seen like that till like barely recently it's it's a shitty town back then it's still when I like t- ten years ago San Francisco's nice yeah like the hippies you go over there you get to smoke weed it really wasn't like that unless you live there just like L A you don't know how bad L A is till you live here oh the all, all again just like Rudy Giuliani did to New York and got rid of all yeah. the you know wild things. New York, you know, and priced it out. Same thing with San Francisco. I mean, like, there's a place called the Tenderloin, which was like San Francisco's shady area, but it was so much texture to it. It was like so, the people there, the all the clubs, the adult clubs, the sex yeah, clubs, yeah. the like it yeah. was just like this wonderful texture, and it's all been it's where taken life happens. 
Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about our friends at Lucy Nicotine Products. That's right. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of you choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for who? For adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's the new year. Why not start out by switching to a new nicotine product that makes you feel good? I got Dana trying these out. We also have my good friend, uh, Chris Neff from Cash Daddies. He's loving it. Uh, Lucy nicotine products are a real hit with my friends who love nicotine okay so if you're enjoying nicotine you should definitely check out lucy's products at lucy.co that's lucy.co and use the promo code tinfall at checkout okay that's lucy.co promo code tinfoil okay i have to read this to you there's a disclaimer warning this product contains nicotine nicotine is an addictive chemical remember if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine visit lucy.co and be sure to use the promo code tin foil there was this great show by the way i reckon if you really enjoy that era called the deuce that was on hbo about that oh yeah 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 yeah. in new york it's it's incredible you know it's it's interesting though i wonder do you think the music uh predicted and or portended this this shift to a grittier time or that it was just following it because if you look like velvet underground i think it follows it personally follows it okay i think it follows it yeah i mean it's the whole i mean here in the city I'm talking about, I mean, it, it's just like the whole sense of economic collapse. I mean, it was, it was bad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the whole city almost went bankrupt and there was the very famous headline Ford to New York drop dead, right? New York was about <laughs> to go bankrupt. I mean, New York city financial capital of the world going bankrupt and Ford goes drop dead. No, it was. And as I'm saying, if you see that film downtown 81, what you see is it's filmed in the streets of New York City. I was with a friend of mine who had just moved into the, and he was like, oh, I, I have, I, I've seen pictures. I think it's so cool in the late 70s, 80s. I said, yeah, let's watch this. And she was like, what the hell is this? This is like a bombed out, this is like post-war World II bombed out. I said, yeah, that's 12th Street, you know, over there. See this? She's like, you won't, it is a bombed out city. And I'm not kidding you. Right. Yeah, I have a, I had one of my co-workers who I worked with at Weiser's squatted right uh, on one of these. And the buildings, every other building was a pile of rubble. I mean, literally, it was like something out of out of a war. Um, and the buildings that were still standing were <laughs> rat infested. Filthy, huh? My friend was an architect student. He went with a couple of friends, ran electricity, did the plumbing. And, um, you know, if you can get past the second, third floor, you had a, and going over there, you open up the door, turn on the lights, and it was like, holy shit. And he goes, yeah, no red. It's like, so this is what you're talking about, right? It's like this type of stuff. And then all of a sudden the city starts to pick up, and there's a lot, this is all around Tompkins Square, all East Village. The people cleared out areas and built gardens, right? It's like some of these are still here, but there was a fight at one point because the city wanted to sell the property to developers, and it was like no go. So there's a this is where you find that here in New York, that kind of, you know, old, <laughs> very old, you know, uh, grit that just ain't going anywhere, you know? It's, it's like 
I mean, in the 80s, I mean, here's another kind of sad statistic. In the East Village, one out of thir- three people was HIV positive. Right? So, Jeez. Damn. Yeah. That's a that. lot of yes, people. It is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a huge amount of people. No, it, it's like, you know, as I say, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. We, we're like roaches and rats here. We just keep coming back. Um, but that's it, you know? Um, was there, though, a scene, though? Did, I mean, like, because I remember what? when you came on to my uh, other show, you were talking about how you kind of never... Uh, you were more of a reader. You loved to go to the library, and then you found this bookstore, and you were able to work there. Were there some? Were there characters there that just made the scene <laughs> just pop? Oh yeah, you didn't want to name names, but I'm not yeah. looking for. Uh, well, I don't know names. Yeah, these were more. These were these were more like just just characters. Some yes. some just actually just truly <laughs> truly strange. Do you know? Um, and they're like some of them are regulars, but just uh, you know, a <laughs> little not too tightly wrapped. Um, and then there were some really serious folks, you know. Uh, I can't, you know, the the funny ones were the funny ones. I mean, and they're just like the it's just like any place has their crazy people that come in. But here you had the esoteric edge to it. So, you know, I had this one guy. I can't. <laughs> just, I, I'll try to explain it because no, I'm it's laughing fine. about it's it. Fine. Fair to share it, but yeah, it's fine. He, he was. He, he was like, I asked me for a book, didn't have the book, and then it's like he was probably about five foot one, built like a, I mean, really strong, right? Very muscular, <laughs> very short and stocky, but really strong. And then he like looks at me like intensely in the eye and goes, do you know why I am so young and strong? And I'm like, oh, God, here it comes. I know I don't know why you are so young and strong. So he grabs my hand, slams it to his chest, and he goes, feel this. And he starts doing these breathing exercises, you know, and uh, it's like, okay, one of the co-workers kinds of say, hey, Brian, could you, you come back here and uh, help us stock these books? Oh, my it's like, okay, God. Thank you. I'm it's sure. It's like, sir, I have to. And he goes, are you feeling the energy? Are yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm feeling the energy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so you'd have like, you know. Wizards? Did wizards ever come in? Witches? Warlocks? Any of that oh, yes. stuff? Like, what oh, yeah, are those yeah, people yeah, yeah. like? Are and, they I like mean, folks that would display, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like there were a lot of folks who weren't into the, you know, I mean, full regalia kind of a thing. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, you would get this. It's like, you know, going to a metal concert or something and seeing a lineup <laughs> outside not knowing the band, right? I mean, you get a sense by looking at the crowd yeah. that this is a metal band, right? <laughs> Same sort of thing at Weiser's. Every every tribe has its kind of you know signifiers. So yeah. And the, do they hang? Do they hang out in like different sections of the bookstore? Well, right <laughs> well the different sections really never really sort of cross. Oh right. right? Yeah. So, so you, you can kind of just go with, like here are the goths though. and here are the yeah. the warlocks. Right. But war- here's the thing. Here's the thing. They really like say in terms of magic, magic like what we like say OTO, uh, Alistair Crowley, Golden Dawn. There was not much. Right. This is really the beginnings of it is the is the early 70s. 
uh, 72, 75. That was actually my first contact with it. Not my first. I had other mail, you know, going there, things like this. But at one point, there were a couple of books I wanted. And I had gone in there, and these were two works by Alistair Crowley. And they were like, no, we don't, we don't have these. This doesn't, it's, you know. And that's how I met Jim Wasson. Uh, was actually, I left, he chased after me, and he goes, I have those. <laughs> it's like, well, want to buy? And it was like, yeah. And that's how our friendship started. But um, at the time, it, the material just wasn't there. And that is where, that's where a lot of the controversy started. Right, because people are claiming rights to things they don't technically have rights interesting, to. Interesting, interesting. I am the true OTO. No, you're not. I am. Who has the rights? Crowley died in '45. There are some things. There was a lot of. Le- this is the type of stuff I was actually oddly overhearing. Right, I worked in the bookstore and on the floor, so I met all those weirdos uh, and fellow travelers and future good friends. Um, but then I got moved up into like the office to help pack books, do orders. And, you know, and I think if I wanted to, if I had expressed interest in publishing and doing that, uh, I could have moved into that because stuff was shared with me because of my, my knowledge of certain areas, even though I was like 19 or 20 at the time. So I'm hearing things, right? Uh, it's like, Hey, what do you think of this? Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the whole OTO thing, but there was this uh, sort of discovery of manuscripts or something like that in uh, in Brazil, Marcelo Mota. And had this was also part of the whole legal thing. He claimed to have had the legitimacy of Crowley. And then it gets nasty, ugly. There's legal stuff going on, flying back and forth. But eventually, this is this was the roots of um, the current OTO. Uh, this is where, you know, this the publishing was where it was centered because there was a lot of publication, Crowley and the organization did. So it was a lot of struggle around that, right? And it doesn't sound so magical, but that is where a lot of the intensity was. Um, what is your take on Crowley? What is your take on Crowley? I. I have my mixed bag. I mean, I'm not really a fan, to be honest with you. I yeah, I'm, I feel uh, like it, he's. Go on, sorry. Yeah, I just feel no, like I, okay. Sorry, dude. <laughs> it's like when you walk past him on the sidewalk, you know, and you you, you know you go left. Yeah, no, yeah, you yeah, go yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, sorry about that. What was your take on? Everyone knows my take. What is your take on it? Um, he was what he was. I mean, he's a fact. <laughs> put it diplomatically uh, i read him i studied him i mean again that was like one of my first entrees into an actually coherent organized uh idea of esoteric practice uh, was his magic and theory and practice so for that i am always appreciative and stuff but um what I started doing with this material was going, okay, that's great. You seem to be getting it from somewhere. Where did you get it from? And so I started tracing things mm. back. So it brought me to the Neoplatonists, the Gnostics, the Hermeticists. Uh, it brought me into contact with Tibetan Buddhism because all this is what the English, right, Victorian, the rebirth of the occult and the esoteric was drawing on. All of a sudden, they had contact of this through their colonies, et cetera, and the translation projects coming in. They can reinvent, not reinvent, revitalize the Western traditions that were lost, 
you know, by tapping into what was known from these others. And he did it masterfully. He created a Western, Western system of this. But I really didn't have an interest in it once I actually saw where the material was being drawn from. Ah, right? there we go. That's also, what we talk about. Yeah. Also, it's the alchemy that I was always interested in, right? The Crowley, the magical, all this other stuff was a peripheral to that because, well, here's one of those first systematic des- descriptions of things I was reading haphazardly from my teen years on. And again, this is like the late 60s and the 70s. It's not like you can go to the bookstore now and there is a whole bookshelf <laughs> on this, right? From everybody's interpretation, translations, you know, nothing. I mean, here you go to Weiser's and, I mean, the stuff on ritual magic, it was the usual suspects at that time, right? Beyond Fortune, A.E. Wait, these are all books that were written and printed in the 1890s and reprinted because that was Weiser's model, right? Get the good esoteric stuff that's in public domain and print it, right? But there was hardly anything really new because people hadn't worked through the original stuff yet, right? And then that starts to blossom in the late 70s, 80s. You start getting, you start getting the secondary kind of working of the magical material again and then you get some new stuff happening and then it just takes off in the 90s and everybody has it what is some of the what is the what made the 80s you know renaissance different than the originals was there anything in specific that made it like Um, i think it was i think it was people who were seriously working with the material had time to work with the material and then had their own insights. It's kind of when chaos magic started to evolve, right? Early 80s. Um, uh, these ideas where it's like you had enough time to kind of go, okay, you know, I looked at the Golden Dawn, did some of this stuff. I've done some, you know, deep psychology studies through, you know, Jung and mythology. I, I've, I've taken some Kundalini yoga classes. I've studied the chakras, right? And then you go, wait a minute. There's something kind of going on here. We don't necessarily need these types of images to do. We could create our own as long as it hangs together as a system. So this starts to get kind of rediscovered in the 80s. And then it's also publishing. It's easier to do. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of oddly enough hinges on the advent of computer and technologies that allows for a certain publication and dissemination and things in the 70s when I, that's why i did zines right there was no other way you wanted to do something i would do like uh, i'd make a mimeograph sheet and then run off 100 in high school of these kind of like bizarre ass manifestos and spread them around right? <laughs> by hand so, dude that's, that's how, work yeah that's that was some work. mc hammer shit right yeah. there right out of the back of his trunk of his car wow. handing out his cds yeah. and stuff um that's but that's it though right that that was like to me william blake right is like one of the first zinesters i mean he is a he's a mystic zine maker right it's like he doesn't want anybody touching his stuff right i'm gonna write it i'm gonna make it i'm gonna do it myself because i don't need intermediaries i have a vision i'm getting it out there so that's the kind of feel too that was happening you'll find a lot and they start showing up in sort of used rare bookstores these pamphlets that were done in the 70s that's garage so sales you're like what is this you 50 find it- to a hundred dollars you go what the fuck is this yeah man <laughs> right? yeah 
Yeah. And, and it's, it's like somebody ran off a hundred of them here somewhere back in like, you know, mid sixties. And it's about their vision and how you do and the right. And here's their poetry and some line drugs. And you go, wow. Okay. It's like that. It's like the little, the little uh, zine or maybe it's a, a book about that. Uh, Hamilton Morris was talking about, yep. about the psychedelic toads yep. that got passed around oh, you know, yeah, yeah, in, the, yeah. in like the seventies. Yeah. Or maybe even before that. And how underground that was. Yeah. and then It's he, like people right. who do email lists now. You're yeah. like, that's kind of underground in a weird way to yeah. like send well, out I'll all your you info. Something. Here's something I think, like with the podcasts, like this is the closest thing to like sort of the pirate radio of like 70s and 80s. Yeah. Right. It's like in the past, you'd have to commandeer a wavelength somewhere, try to stay <laughs> online as you could. Uh, but it would allow for the niche and allow for the kind of say what you want to say. Um, and then that disappeared. And then all of a sudden this is happening. And it's like, wow, the closest thing is like the, have you, do you know, you must think this. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Right? And then, you know, you yeah. have some shows like coast to coast to that for some reason we're allowed to talk about some pretty off the grid stuff and how that mm -hmm. resonated with people. And then, I don't know, there's just seemed to be this kind of explosion in the podcasting where it started out like, you know, more mainstream stuff. And then out of nowhere, you just see all everybody going, hey, man, I'm going to do yeah. a podcast on living off That's the grid exactly or, it. or being it's a like call. I got a curtain. <laughs> So, so we could put on a show. Yeah, for sure. So so before we get into alchemy, because I want to talk about that because it's something uh -huh. I'm super All interested right. in. Uh did did organized religion uh attempt to snuff out the occult? You know, we talk about um, you know, oh. St. Patty's Day and what like St. Patty's Day really represents with his which is basically ethnic cleansing, which is the Roman Catholic Church going in, trying to kill off all the pagans who are practicing, uh, you know, alchemy and occult rituals and stuff like that. And everyone's like, it's St. Patty's Day. I'm going to get drunk on green beer. You're like, you're celebrating an ethnic cleansing right there. And uh, so right. do you think that will happen? Because, you know, when you think of the 80s, right, we think of like, you know, uh, uh, Tipper Gore. I mean, guess Tipper Gore was the 90s, but like the reagans and the like the, mm -hmm. the this real hard move to like republican and, and in particular like the super silent, silent majority yeah. The, yeah the silent majority yeah. and the, the very conservative christian far right not just like religious people but we're talking Jerry about Falwell, the, that, yeah that that, that, that yeah, like yeah. Yeah. so did you do you think that was and basically an assassination attempt to take out um, uh, the occult. Oh, you mean, uh, I, there's a lot there. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let me just see. Um, the overall first question, does religion tend to suppress the sort of occult? Yeah. Generally, yes. 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 Uh, alchemy specifically, not so much. It just depends upon who is doing the alchemy and for whom, right? Because alchemy had a whole medicinal purpose as well that everybody was very interested in, right? Saint Villanova wrote on it, right? It, it, it's not like it was forbidden, forbidden. Uh, what was forbidden was, well, you don't call spirits in to help you, right? You can do natural philosophy, you can study nature, changing things into what they are in their continuum is part of nature. So, so the church and things like that were never really against that, right? As long as you didn't bring 
You weren't sacrificing things to spirits. You weren't trying to call spirits in to kind of control something. So that's one thing. Okay. So yeah, in general, yeah, you know, do not suffer a witch to live is what the Bible says, I guess. So it kind of, that's kind of harsh. Um, <laughs> so that kind of says that. But if you think of alchemy more in the sense of its medicinal aspects, which it always had, uh, that is the thing that, um, you know, think of it that way. Did the church suppress medicine? And it's like, well, no, not really. Maybe certain aspects, maybe certain things at, at, from time to time, but no. Uh, the bigger question, like, say, from the 80s, is that, no, I don't really... I, I, see, the thing is, with this interest in the esoteric, it's, as I said, a rhizome, right? It's this under... It's like mushrooms. Right? They, they interconnect underground through this network yeah, of yeah, contact, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and you will only see the, the surface of the mushroom during a wet season when they fruit. But the whole organism is, you know, I forget, I remember reading once that the largest contiguous living organism is, some, is a mycelium. Is basically mycelium. Fungus. Yeah. Well, now they say they mycelium. have a 50, a 50 word vocabulary. Now they say that. So shrooms can talk, yeah, right? Yeah, they, they, there's yeah. these yeah. underground connected networks have a 50 word yeah, vocabulary. The is what they, Biggest living organism. Yeah. what they found. Mycelium. Yep. Yep. So this is that idea. That's what's present, right? Throughout, throughout. I mean, throughout, <laughs> throughout these, throughout the U.S. Essentially, you find it more densely in bigger cities because the cities are are more dense. But uh, I would say that yes, that you know the, re- the religious, uh, the religious, what have you, will always try to suppress those things they feel are dangerous to the spirit, right? And some of them are coming from a very good place because they don't want you to lose your soul. Um, I'm kind of laughing because I remember hearing one event here in New York City. It was on Astor Place about four years ago. And it was this sort of uh, street fair focusing on the esoteric and the occult, right? And so you have, you know, tarot cards, tarot card readings, you know, uh, the Wiccans are there and things like that. But across the street, behind a police barricade were a whole lot of very sincere church people praying. And it was like, a friend of mine joked, it was like, wow, you know what? I think those folks are the only folks here who really believe this. (laughs) 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 It's like, because most of the folks attending that find the esoteric and the occult cool, interesting. There's something edgy about it. There's something that's speaks to them. They don't really, most folks don't really fully, fully, fully grasp what it's, um, but I almost lost it. It was like, yes, that's, you're probably right. They're the only ones that actually probably really believe this. So, so that's the other side of it, right? There's, 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 there's a sense of the recognition of the potency of this material, right? In which some factors, some people get very nervous about and wish to suppress, and that if your music gets too wild, you know, the sap may rise and you, you'll have funny thoughts. I don't know, you know, but there is always that in any, any of these societies we look at, you know, a way to channel this sort of chaotic, chaotic material that gets churned up through, through esoteric practice, through the arts, through whatever. And some do it better than others, and some of it just try to repress it. Some use it to kind of actually move things along, and others will repress it. 
Is there, is there, you know, we have a, before we joked, because we were going to have you on talking about the occult and all that stuff, and we're going to, we made a joke that we're going to get a bunch of tweets, Satan worshipers and stuff, and you said, you know, there's no, there's no Satan, and I, I've talked about that before, um, about that whole belief, but is, do you think that is a misinterpretation of from the outside of what the occult is and this oh, thoughts yeah. of black magic and white magic and how, you know, and I always say, I don't think there's either of those. It, it, I think those terms are used to, you know, to um, basically mm-hmm. identify intent in a weird way. Like what's yes. your intent of yes. using it and your thoughts yes. on that? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, there's a wide there's a wide range there right and it is true that you can say within the esoteric the 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 occultist however you want to identify it yes there'll be a full spectrum there there will be folks who really really are for whatever philosophical they have their reasons or what have you that they will know this is what i do i worship satan right and there's a whole kind of oh, I don't know, philosophy around it, that, that does make sense. And it not necessarily meaning it in the sense of a social tweak to the far-right Christians, right? If you can put up a statue of Christ, well, I could put up a statue of old Satan, you know? Freedom of religion, freedom of speech kind of thing. No, so you do get the full range of these things. They do exist. There are folks who are full ritual magicians. Um, but at heart in this, what I think is being asked, in other words, like, the worldview, the overall worldview that's held here and is held by religion as well is that everything is interconnected, right? That there is, nothing is separate. And then what the esotericists say, well, if you can find how those things are connected, you can engage with it, right? Interesting. Religion will say, well, you only engage with this to kind of either help your community or save your soul or both, save your soul and see God kind of a thing. And you do that by, well, here are the restrictions, here are the do's, here are the don'ts. You do that, you know, you're, you're good kind of a thing. Um, but in, within the esoteric, it's, it's that there's almost a sense of an individual self-exploration in it, right? And this is where the, the sort of the organized forms of it get nervous because they have their thousand years of history, whether it's uh, yoga, whether it's Christianity, whatever it's whatever, they have their tried and true paths to whatever they consider the end goal, right? Salvation, union with God, enlightenment. And from that experience, they feel they see some pitfalls. So there is a, a, a genuine kind of speaking of like, well, be careful what you do, kids, <laughs> you know, because uh, you are playing with something, you are working with something, you are dealing with something that is real, right? And I don't mean Satan, I don't mean like, oh, evil forces, no. We live in a universe. We live in a universe that is deeply interconnected, and interconnected in ways, you know, we only know the tiniest little bit of. And so there's that aspect of it. Right? And so this is what I see happening um, in a deeper sense of alchemy, in the deeper sense of esotericism, in the deeper sense of the you know, witchcraft, magic, what have you, the ritual, is finding that connection to this, this deep, deep that level of being, right? this unity of being that it all kind of speaks to. 
And then different folks will kind of use that channel for different ends, right? Uh, uh, someone doing black magic will use that contact with the divine or with the unity of being to channel something in to kind of, you know, put the whammy on their friend, you know, make his breath smell like a goat and make his girlfriend leave, you know, this type of stuff. But that's actually real. What? That actually is, that's actually in, in a Greek magical papyri from like the fourth century. Uh, there's a there's a volume of work called the Greek Magical Papyri, and in it are formula things like this, and a lot of it is how to make my competition, <laughs> how to make right. my competition right. smell bad. Yeah, yeah like so, Ezone and them get like crazy rituals. Like Ezone's had to go out to like the ocean and drop some shit off for like yeah. good luck and shit. Yeah. He thinks he's hacked. Sure. Yeah. No. I'm sure. So, are there are there dark entities, and does is that is it an entity? Can it when we talk a, a, about a dark entity? One, does it exist? And two, if it does, what does that mean? <laughs> oh wow! Um, I don't think they. I don't think anything really intrinsically exists. This is where it gets really slippery and kind of weird. I'm all in, dude. but I don't necessarily think that anything truly intrinsically exists, right? Um, but it's the kind of thing. What I say to folks is, you know, when you start doing like, okay, fine. Wouldn't it be fun if we did this ritual thing and we conjured up or we bought into what have you, you know, this thing, right? Whatever that is. Um, and I was talking to somebody about this, and they were like, well, what's the... It's like, well, you know, what manifests there or what comes about there, you're not going to get... It's not going to be a Hollywood movie. It's not going to be... You're not going to smell sulfur. You're not going to see, like, flashes of light, and then poof, you know, here they are. And it's like, no, it's going to be, like, probably the next day you're walking down the street with your friend, and some crack addict comes at your friend's face with a hammer. And it's like, yeah. is that that's what you're calling up, Right? So where you put your mind, where you put your energy, you want to call up chaos, you want to call up the forces of evil, sure. <laughs> you know, That's exactly how Yuzon explains it. He's like, I'll put a hex on you. I don't know what happened. But next thing you know, your tires popped. Now you're in a car accident. Yeah. It's, it's it. like he it's just, energy, yeah, he just right? throws energy your way. Let's see what happens. Well, Let's dude, keep I, fuck around and find out. I think you can do this kind of shit accidentally, too. You know, like, like I, I feel like sometimes I, I've, you know... When I used to have a job that I hated, I would call out sick, you know, and then I'd get sick, you know, thinking about it. Like, shit like that would happen all the time to me, like, so often. Or I'd get mad at somebody and then they guilty. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, right? It, I, I, if you dude, didn't feel well, guilty, see, that's it. You got to get rid of that. <laughs> this, is, this, is where it, this is where it slides into psychopathy. You must get rid of your guilt. <laughs> it's like... Then you are free. <laughs> but, but I've always talked about, you know, high frequency, low frequency. And yeah. when you start vibrating a little lower, do you run into like lower vibrational people? Like they are kind of uh, like when I used to use drugs, I used to find myself in places and in recovery, they call them lower companions. I hated that term because I was right there with yeah. them. And so I never thought they were low capacity. I thought they they were going through the same issues I was going through, and we yeah. were just vi we just vibed, and then we ended up you well, you start attracting people who vibe on your energy. Yep, yep. But that's true anywhere. That's human, right? The the old saying: "Birds of a feather flock together." Yeah, man. It's like for sure. 
For we sure. hear it, we see it, a, a, a turn of phrase, the way they carry something, the music they listen, whatever. All of a sudden, as you say, you kind of vibe to it, and then that vibe builds. And before you know it, you got a friend, you got a couple of friends, you got a circle. Oh, and that's why you have Skid um, Road. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah they exactly. like, yeah, exactly. I mean, we've talked about well, this on know, the show. First rule of survival. First rule of survival is stay together. So that's the other yeah. side of it. You know, we do see that, and that is a first rule yeah, of survival. One, one of them the goes street. gets the needle. The other one goes gets the sack. The other one go get the food. We all meet up that's here, what we call, and we all party yeah. together. Motherfucking yeah. teamwork, right? <laughs> but but you know, when I see people like again, I, my whole thing is like when we talk about spirits, right? I mean, they call mm -hmm. alcohol spirits. Uh, I I watch these people who are obviously on drugs, in particular crystal meth look possessed they look yeah. possessed and the energy yeah. that these things bring in i mean we used to talk about and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this it's like you know uh capital records used to talk about putting some kind of spell in every single of the master uh album that they would put out and then oh, they would wow. cop copy a copy a copy any thoughts on that and i wonder if some yeah, I've never, here's a, i never heard that and I wish I had heard that because I knew actually we're doing a, a documentary on some of the recording engineers and uh, producers over at Columbia Records in the early days. So I would have loved to have asked them that question. <laughs> I've never heard that. I have no idea. But, you know, it's like people do funny things. Right. It's like, you know, they could have done that just to do it just because. Or there could have been like some true believers there that felt, let us put some extra special mojo in it. Or it's just one of those stories that gets passed around. It's like, you know, you'd have to, I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to find somebody who was there that would, that would, I don't know, tell the truth, I guess. But are are I, words I, magic? Like, you know, we have these, I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, they were like breaking down what is being said uh mm -hmm. in a in a it was i think it was a pat benatar song it's like kids in kids <laughs> are hell or something like that or whatever these kids they have these kids you know they have these beats that are so amazing and then people dancing and then they're just saying the lyrics and i just mm -hmm. feel like yeah. are they doing spells by saying this unwittingly oh, well, tiktok oh, that's all tiktok oh, yeah. is well, that's I mean, that's that's like, you know, throbbing gristle, psychic TV. It's like all that stuff. Coil. Um, these are these bands that were actually doing that, you know, trying to get that stuff in there, doing stuff as ritual, uh, as, you know. Uh, but, I you know, pop music, I don't know. That's always, that's always the thing. And that's, you know, I buried Paul, I, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, it, it's here's the thing. It's so possible that why wouldn't you believe it if you know what I mean? Because there are examples of it, but you don't have any. There's no real way to claim it being true, uh, specifically in any one case, unless somebody says, "Yeah, I did that," and here's what I did. Um, you know, but for sure, you know, there there are. Um, I mean, music is, I mean, that's, 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 that's the heartbeat. That's the heartbeat of ritual, really, right? Of any kind of going, I mean, going, going back since we were, you know, as we first became human and even beforehand. I mean, look at bird mating dances, 
if you've ever seen any of those, those are intense. What are they? But bird mating dances. Bird mating, mating dance. dances of birds. Oh. There, there are some tropical ones that are like, holy shit, this is insane. But this idea of rhythm, idea of music, and then the idea of ritual, and then the idea, I mean, that's like, you know, that all comes, that's always been there, but like once you hit the 60s, it just takes off. I mean, you know. Uh, a lot of the what Jim Morrison as just shaman type of a thing, you know? Uh, yeah, I do understand. But you find conscious use of it. You really do find conscious use of like, okay, we're going to do something else. We're going to draw in this. You're going to draw in that. But I don't know the bands that did that. I don't know, you know, Led Zeppelin was supposed to have done some back masking on Stairway to Heaven, things like this. Um, but I don't know. It's not, not anything I ever really... I'm just saying what I happen to hear from. No, other I folks get that. Who, you know I what get I mean? That. Like, but except for those bands I mentioned, some of the uh, kind of industrial uh, folks that were very much involved in the esoteric and the occult that were bringing stuff into it, you know. If somebody wanted to start to learn about alchemy, where do we start? Where would you start? Um, I know you've written books on it. What would you suggest? Yeah, well, if you're if you're actually wanting to do some laboratory type stuff to get set up, basically making herbal tinctures and start understanding the the theory practice that will then build towards a bigger thing, I would say honestly, my book, um, uh, Practical Alchemy, uh, it was written explicitly uh, for that purpose of um, you know laying out a basic theory, a basic kind of worldview, what the practices are how to get set up very simply and uh you know and that as i mentioned earlier was just uh re-released last year it was first published in 2006 and then came out again uh, so i'm real pleased with that and that's available anywhere you go online you know put in put in board practical alchemy and brian i'm sure it'll show up um and then my other work uh, is also good if you have an interest in kind of exploring the things that are a little deeper. The other book I did after that, Alchemy, the Poetry of Matter, uh, it's available through my website and some bookstores. That actually works with the idea of um, outlining a method of working both uh, with inner alchemy and outer alchemy and how those link up. Um, and then I would say... Um, I don't know what that would say. Uh, well, there's a lot reading. of like stuff going on with like, can alchemy change anything into a precious metal? And, and, no. And, and okay. No. Sorry. What I'm, is I'm a alchemy? Heretic. What is <laughs> what is alchemy? If you break it down, like the alchemy is is the oh. is. Oh. All right. Uh, the one definition I always start off with. Um, I mean, really, think about it. I mean, what alchemy does is it creates a change, right? Fundamentally across the board. I mean, that is in one sentence what alchemy does, makes change. And how it makes change is by taking something that you already have and bringing it to its best possible form so that it itself can then turn around and do the same thing, right? That's the description of the philosopher's stone. You've taken lead, which is imperfect metal, You've bought it to its perfect stage, which is gold, right? And then you've taken gold and you've treated that to bring it to its 
even more perfect than perfect. You've created the philosopher's stone out of that. And that, in turn, can then transmute any metal into gold, right? Damn. <clears throat> so the basic idea is um, alchemy, it's, it's an art and a science, right? It uses methods of science, but uses methods and techniques and ways of understanding uh, involved in the arts. It's intuitive. It's logic. It uses all ways of knowing. Right? Any way that you can understand or know something, alchemy will use it. Right? And then the idea is, is that it brings something. Right? In the case I just pointed out, lead, a metal. For the early alchemists or early natural philosophers, metal was really one thing. The different aspects of it depended upon how long it was cooked in the earth and what planets were influencing mm. it. Damn. So if it was impure and Saturn was dumb, you'd get lead. And if you went through it, you'd get all the different metals, copper with Venus, you know, more pure, what have you. And all the alchemist was doing was taking what nature started and bringing it to its final stage, right? And this is what they mean by perfection, perfected, right? The perfect tense, past tense, done, finished, complete. And that's the idea of alchemy. You're taking something that can be perfected, brought to its best form, right? But then you take that, and you do some other work on it, and then that in itself can turn around and create a change. This is where you see the link-ups with art, right? You create something, it has an impact on the world, which can then, have, which can then change it, right? Um, but that thing can also be your soul, your, you, whatever you want to define what's going on on the inside here. Um, and the idea of, a, in, in alchemy, was the idea of uh, a return to the one, a unification with the deity. And so there are practices, inner practices, that involve that. So there you have something being brought to its final perfection. Right? The soul will only be completed once it's reunified with its creator, that type of an idea. And um, <clears throat> so that's basically it. Alchemy is an art and science of bringing something to its final completion. And that covers a whole lot of ground, right? I mean, we For sure, for sure, for sure. You can look at it as... Carl Jung's idea of a damaged psyche being brought to health and healing, these kinds of ideas. So that's how I define it. I mean, and that comes out of 50-odd years of actual working on it, reading, studying. It's a, it's a deeper paraphrase of something Paracelsus said, right? Like that the alchemist completes what nature started, and then I just started kind of pushing it, in a sense. There... Um, there's a lot yeah. of issues, not issues, but, you know, within the conspiracy world, there's always a, a symbolism, occult symbolism. And today, in this day and age, like everything seems to have a negative, like energy to it. Have, have you ever seen where, like, one symbol that you knew, let's say the swastika, right? Like, the swastika mm -hmm. was a Hindu symbol for peace forever. Right. And now yeah. everybody automatically. Uh, associates it with Nazism and you're like well I mean like is that done purposefully so we don't understand the power of that symbol well that symbol has been I mean the, the potency the repurposing and the potency of that symbol is so intense because of everything within living memory that is imbued with that that's going to take a very long time for that meaning to get drained from that symbol so there's no hope of ever getting back to that within our lifetimes of it being perceived as right. something right. as something neutral, right? 
it just it it's like that would be if that happened i i i don't know what change in time that would <laughs> necessitate that but um are you asking are there any symbols around esoteric occult that have a more of a uh, i don't know what you would call it neutral is that where you were going well or that- i think he's asking is are they deliberately perverting symbols are there other examples of that symbols that have been oh, God, like, deliberately yes. perverted oh yes 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 this is one of the things within um well say norse shamanism for instance right uh i i i know someone who is literally a norse shaman i mean traditionally like roots kind of a thing the idea of the appropriation of runes by the by fascists in the far right is like really fucking upsetting right it's, it's like what are you guys doing what is fucking going on here um there's that that goes on there is an appropriation of things that that it's like it's not the point right um does this go on intentionally yeah certainly it, uh, it comes about by recognizing a potency there and then finding some kind of an overlap with it that justifies it and then you claim it and then you re-energize it I mean, that's the thing with symbols, is that they're alive, they're constantly changing, and we put into it as much as what the other side, it's kind of, you know, the other side of the image, so to speak, um, what it's pointing to. It's like anytime someone wears a symbol of something, whether they know what it is or not, it's sort of like a tendril that reaches back to the mother load of the symbol in my mind. right? Right. It's like a tentacle feeding. Yeah, go ahead, please. And I mean, they pick like what very generic symbols, like a butterfly, a triangle. Yeah, so they so don't... that it's very easy to do duplicate oh, without right. you trying. Very easy to duplicate without trying. If you're not woke, you'll you'll put a triangle and be like, I just like triangles. Yeah. yeah. Little yeah. do you know, you're you're kind of in a single way. Me and Sam were like, oh, what a pedo. Yeah, I mean, like it sucks because a friend of mine sent me like his logo for his yeah. company, and I'm like, oh, that looks like this FBI logo. I'm like, oh, it's gonna, I'm gonna get. You, you don't even know how to tell him because he's so stoked about it. He sent <laughs> it to you. He's such a good dude. I'm like, but it it just no. the energy of that, the also, energy I mean, of it puts out. There's only so many shapes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like then that's why they pick the most generic ones. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting. I love well the most generic ones. Well, there is something powerful about very basic shapes. So there there is there 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 is something kind of encoded in the brain for square, triangle, circle, these sort of things. So anybody who's wanting to create a great impact will start to work with. It's just. I mean, I do books, I do design, I do art, and you work with image. Um, here's something very interesting actually concerning image some of the early writings on this in terms of the power of the image is from um like well uh, marsilio ficino like renaissance and um uh, kind of writings that in uh, impacted uh, the magical occult uh, tradition because what they were pointing to, and this is something out of some of the texts, literally, is, you know, you're better off on al- in terms of alchemy, it's like in terms of medicine, of using something for healing. He says, you're far better off working with matter, right, compounding powders, doing this stuff, than working with image, uh, right? Because you can make talismans. You could do things like this that can affect a healing. But what, what he's saying is, we don't know where the power of image comes from, so we need to be careful with it. So just don't do it, right? Yeah, I mean, and this is a 
this is a really powerful insight, right? Because up until recently, we, we don't know where. It's like ideas of semiotics of how images or how signs carry meaning and then how meaning gets potentized and transferred and circulated, gaining more power. Is, is a rather recent understanding, except if you look at and can understand the readings of the esotericists of the Renaissance period, because that's what they're talking about, the power of the image. You had mentioned making something that has an impact outward. This is what a talisman is, right? You make a talisman, a configuration of word, image, what have you, as you're focusing on something to cause that change. Yes. Right? It's to make a change. This could be an art piece. In alchemy, the, 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 the emerald tablet actually mentions the word, right, talisman. But what it's speaking of is this idea of making something that has a final impact, right? It's not making it like a literal talisman, you know, with signs, images, and things like that. It's an object. It's an object of a completed ritual with which the ritual has an impact is what the origins of the word is. So all of this um, is kind of what's at heart even today because it's like, this is something I deeply research. I work in film. I do documentary film, editing, producing. I do graphic work. I have work on propaganda. Right? I have um, from, the, from, the Cuban China, from the Cuban Communist Party from 1968, their work on propaganda. Right? How do you do proper propaganda? This reads like something I would read coming out of Madison Avenue in the 60s. How do you do proper advertising? Identify your audience. What is their limit? What is their age? All of it. They were beginning to understand how, how images, how things work, right? Simple, powerful, dominant upper left corner. You know, just strange things right, like this. Right, right, right. It's all energy. Right? But it is, but it's also working with a very, or discovering, right, only seeing the surface aspect of how the human psyche is configured. And I mean that both materially, right, brain, cognitive psychology, as well as then mind, behavior, these sorts of things, right? Because a lot of this early stuff is just empirical. You do this and you see weird things happening, right? Um, and it, 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 it's the same thing. How does advertisement work? How... You know, why all of a sudden are you wanting something or, or thinking of something, right? Why does that, why does yeah. that phrase keep going through the head? Um, I, I, you know, it's like when we would work on titles for a show, I mean, this would take a week, right? Of like people, well, that's not, that's like one too many syllables. How about this? Yeah. Can we bring it down to that? No, that's too much like that. You know, oh, that resonates with this. All of that. Uh, it just wasn't, oh, just we'll, we'll call it this. You know, no, it, there's, a, there's a bit of sometimes, sometimes. There was one film I worked on that they just ended up calling it Mummy Movie. <laughs> well, we've been talking about that, how they're like, the, some of the titles are getting dumber and dumber on these movies. <laughs> yes. Ambulance. Yes. Dog. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Like that we that we work movie was right. called We Crashed. I'm not gonna lie. The Northman. It it could be I a little bit more clever than the Northman. I yeah, was yeah, that makes sense in the context of the movie. Go on, sorry, Brian. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. So I was proposing a series that um that that the title was just going to be an exclamation mark. I mean <laughs> It's like, what else do you fuck? I'm oh, sorry. What else do you need? <laughs> you know, Where, I mean, it's, like, 
it's like that's it. That's just that's all it is. Every every other every ten seconds there will be an exclamation mark because that's right. <laughs> so. Let and me ask you: we start a project, so here's two of the ways things break down right now, right? As an editor, you'd sort of see an old friend who's been editing. You go, "What are you working on?" You know, murder or humiliation. <laughs> What are you right? working on, murder or humiliation? Or humiliation. I love right. so that, dude. Some kind of, that's it, though. <laughs> right? Or maybe some history channel thing. But there Sounds like it's journalism, I mean, honestly. God, yeah, that's, that's what he's saying, yeah. dude. That's And, like, there's a reason why you go to, like, the number. It's, it's so interesting. We talk about it all the time on the show. How, like, people get offended by jokes. Like, there's people yeah. who won't do this show because certain uh, uh, guests have been on, right? And mm-hmm, we're asking mm-hmm. people who do murder podcasts to come on the show, but they don't like the, what the people talk about. Or even the title. On our, 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 yeah, it's so weird, right? Like somehow yeah, yeah. They've, they've been compartmentalized the act of murder as not to have some bad energy to it and how oh, they're li- right it's like so crazy well, that and they mur- almost fetishize it right the way they talk about it 100 percent. yeah it's, it's they, a go fetish. To, well, they go I, to sleep to I, it i don't know about that but i do know about you know shows dealing with murder right like sort of the wave of true crime and this is i mean uh, it, it, it's like I was once working on a show. It was a homicide investigation, and this is how this is how this is how ugly it gets. The victim's family called the series producer, begging them not to do the show on their murdered daughter, right? Because it was just too hurtful for them to have this shown and be as entertainment on television. Yes, dude. Did did the did the network back down? No. They just said no. Not, yeah. No editor. None of the editors who were on staff at the time would touch it, though. They'd be like, "Sorry, no." I'm That's why I bailed on the crime beat, dude. Is because you they when one of my first gigs was to they wanted me to go down the courthouse and take pictures of people as you know they were being booked and stuff like yeah. that. And I'm like, dude, it's, yeah. I don't want to. This is the worst the moment of somebody's about? life. Yeah. You know what am I? Yeah. I I just refuse to do it. And they yeah. my, but it goes back yeah. to if you won't do it, someone else will. They yeah, did. No, somebody yeah. else did. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. I completely. I, I'm on your side, but it's that logic where the person that takes it, all their logic is, yeah. I don't do it. Someone else will. Those people are weird. Like I stopped watching the first 48 because I was That's watching. I used. About. Yeah, I used to watch it all the time, and then I remember yeah. having this notion going. Hey man, when the first forty eight on, I, I I'm excited. I go think about. I go to my. I'm I literally excited. had a conversation with myself, going, "Dude, you're excited to watch. Let's say yeah. eighteen people have to die for a, a a a season to happen." And then they had this one mother, and like I, I'm gonna say, I people got really comfortable. Well, well, for some reason, watching Black Murder. Like it would just like yes. we were just watching yes. black murder after black yes. murder after black yes. murder and and like the families that are affected by that like their wor- like you said their worst moment suddenly is like this emotional charge for us and they took this mother and they 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 took her to a car and the cop the detective literally positioned the mother so the shot could be better yeah. 
And then yep. the, the, the go, hey, does the uh, tell us they're about their tattoos. And the mother said, it's got this tattoo, that tattoo. And they're that's like, fine. that's your son. And I remember going, why am I here for this moment? Yeah. And right. I never yeah. watched the first well, 48 the, uh, ever again. Yeah, I've so never watched it. Documentaries, dude. Yeah, so many so-called documentaries do that where they... They position people, do reenactments without, you know, telling you that they do it. It's like, uh, That's it's kind of, it, and it, honestly, it's from the school of one of my yeah. favorite directors, which is Werner Herzog. But he's he's a big believer in restaging events and 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 making things uh, appear as though they were uh, <clears throat> organic that actually weren't. And, and that, there's so that's this new school of documentary that kind of cheats on those things, and, and I, I hate that personally. That's all cop was cops. Well, yeah. Cops was that's exactly what it was. It was just watching people go get arrested in their worst moment, and then they're signing a paper to get a lower and then, deal. Like somewhat uh, taking these people that, for who knows whatever reason, they're mm-hmm. they're going through this and like demonizing them, making them looking like less than people. And yeah. you know when people go through yeah. drugs, like. When I see people on the streets drugged out of their mind, I go there, but for the grace of God, go I, because exactly. I was, I was doing drugs. I was the things that I would do on drugs. It was like super embarrassing. I never got to that cause I was functional, you know, mm-hmm. but it just like, you don't know what people are going through. And then these shows, like it becomes a monkey see monkey do thing. We, I mean, we see it with like, you know, teenage pregnancy on MTV and all of a sudden teenage pregnancy is going to. You had that show on, M- uh, the, and this is exactly what Brian was talking about. You had a show on Netflix that was shown to have caused like 10 suicide in children. Did they take it off air? No, they did another season of it. And this is the energy we're putting out when we talk about like all like the things that kids dance to and sing to. They don't understand the words they're saying. Are you letting in energy that maybe you don't understand you're letting in? Mm-hmm. Don't know. It's crazy, Brian. Let's end this on a positive note. You have some wonderful. Yeah, I was going to say I'm going to have to get running soon. Let's let's end it on here. You have some projects coming out. Can you tell us about them? Your upcoming projects on Alchemy and Music. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. This is the fun one. Um, <clears throat> I did a zine. I've been doing. Re- I do zines as like kind of research projects that I'll never go deep with. They relate to alchemy. They they touch kind of aspects of it, like dream work. Um, anyway, things like that. If you're interested in the zines, go to the website, uh, keprepress.com and check it out. Um, one work I'm starting to do, uh, involves music. It's something I've always been interested in working with and sort of this idea of the esoteric and music, uh, alchemy in particular. It's not like it's alchemical music. That, <laughs> I can't get into details explaining what that might mean, but, yes. um, <laughs> What, what I want to do is there's some old systems of, of patterns and alignments with planets, tones, vowels, things like this. So I want to, basically I want to experiment with this. I did a zine called Alchemy in Music where I lay out um, a lot of these ideas and systems, um, sort of the basics of it, and then to kind of build out from there. Some of it's drawn from... Uh, the Greek magical papyri, they have these string of vowels, and it's been discovered that those vowels represent notes. And so there's this basically, um, you know, chanted music involved in these texts. So taking those ideas, I want to go play, essentially. Uh, I want to play with these ideas, with the idea of 
Ascent of the Soul, this idea of alchemy, more of an inner work. Um, don't know where it will go. Uh, the key the key image around this is the goddess Hikate. Uh, she is the goddess of the crossroads. It's she who will guide you through. Uh, she was the goddess who went to the underworld and brought Persephone back. Uh, she's often characterized as carrying two torches. Um, so this will be more or less a, a hymn to Hikate as the goddess of the crossroads that uh, anyone involved in the esoteric and the <laughs> the things that go bump in the night world, it is this liminal place, this kind of in-between that we find ourselves. So she's sort of the patron saint of that, if you will. So that's the project I'm starting to develop and, and work on. Um, if you want, pick up the zine, go play with it. I have another one coming out that's going to outline the basic framework I'm working with. The idea then would be other folks interested would take these same frameworks, go make their own stuff. Um, I'm hoping to make available like the music stems, various mixes and stuff like that on my website for folks to go download and go play with at some point. And then the ultimate thing will be a flexi disc in the back of one of the one of the zines just because well why not old school kind of cool yeah uh, <laughs> right and so um that's kind of one of the bigger pro i have another book i finished that um i'm hoping to get out by the end of by the end of the summer i don't know i have to see how that goes and then there's a few other little zine works but the music thing is the big project right now i just <laughs> finished another zine on the mystical sisters meaning women in alchemy women in mysticism um uh, as I was doing research on partnership. Um, anyway, check it out. It's on the website and it's called uh, De Sore Mystica the, on the mystical sisters. So the right sister there. Any, uh, any shows or, or speeches? Oh, or yes. I'm supposed, Oh yes, yes, yes. Here's some things that here's some things that are coming up. No, here is a couple of events that are coming up. If you are in New York city on June 18th, Saturday, uh, printed matter, uh, eight ball community uh, these are local art printed matter zines artist books things like this there's going to be a zine fest on saint mark's place uh between first avenue and second avenue all day june 18th coming up so if you're in the city come there's going to be amazing stuff there including me you know uh, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, dude, say, yeah say hey yeah um and then i'm starting a course tomorrow night through morbid anatomy uh, library. It's called Alchemy and the Symbolics of Color. Uh, it's it's a four-part course. Uh, if you look up Morbid Anatomy Library, they have like their courses. If you look up Alchemy, you'll see uh, Alchemy and the Symbolics of Color. Uh, huh. That's starting tomorrow night. In June, I'm doing the music and alchemy. And that's where I'll be laying out. If anybody's interested in what I was talking about, the project, here I'm yeah, going to be going yeah, yeah. over the fundamental ideas and groundings for it and trying to get folks who are interested to kind of go off and go play with this material and see what comes up. Um, and that again, too, is through morbid anatomy library. So if you, you know, go online, check it out. I don't, I don't any have West QR Coast codes. gigs? I probably should hold the, hold the QR right. code up to the, up to the <laughs> any, uh Send me any links uh, to any of these shows you oh, want yeah, me to yeah, add. Sure. I'll add to show. But are you yep. going to do any West Coast shows so we can – any L.A., man? We got some uh, – Yeah, there's nothing coming up stuff. right now. 
Yeah, they, I was doing some classes uh, through some of the West Coast venues, uh, zooming, as I would say, zooming in from L.A., um, uh, but not nothing coming up right now. All right, Just well, keep two. us posted because I would love to come I will. see one of your live uh, presentations and yeah. support you. Oh, I am. I signed up for your, your the Morbid uh, channel, like right. I said. And so if you sign up for that, do you get any of your old? Uh, well, here's the thing. Um, you won't get the old ones. The class you sign up for, if you don't make the actual broadcast, as it were, uh, you have available the recording. Okay, perfect. And you have the recording available to you for as long as you wish. It's like it's part of the class. Uh, they take about 20, 20 people uh, because we try to keep it to a point where there can actually be engagement. So I present for about an hour or so and then, uh, you know, Q&A or discussion and investigation. So that's usually fun. Um so yeah, sign up. I have a I have a mailing list on my website. It's down at the bottom of the page somewhere. Uh, Keprepress.com. Uh, I'll send you the I'll send you the I'll send you all the links there, Sam. All right, Brian. Well, we appreciate. We know you got a jam. So thank you, Brian, yeah. once again. I yeah, I thoroughly enjoy talking to you. And yeah, I I could do it all the time. I look forward to yep. seeing one of your classes. And I hopefully if you get out. On the uh, West Coast, we could powwow and meet oh, up. Yeah. and Definitely definitely give you guys a shot when I get out there. Please do. So. The door is open uh, for everything and anything, and I would love to meet up in person sometime. Again, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. You guys you. check out the links uh, down uh, below. Guys, Michigan, Ohio, Daddy's coming at the end of the month. Come see me. Come get weird and let's hang out. And I appreciate you guys listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. We will talk to you soon. Love yourself, and we'll talk. Bye. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil hack.